Good evening, everyone. We're holding chapter 24. And we're, tonight we're going to discuss what everyone hates to learn. Tonight we're going to discuss sin. Who wants to learn about sin? But if you bear with me and you, you hold on to the end of chapter 24, you're going to have a new appreciation for sin. And stay tuned. Stay tuned. We just concluded in chapter 23 how the greatest unity with Hashem is accomplished through Torah. And there is no unity compared to it. And now we're going to learn the exact opposite. That the greatest separation from Hashem where there is no parallel to it is through sin. Let's see it inside. Chapter 24, page 100, left column, antithetically. The 365 prohibited commandments of the Torah. There are 365 negative commandments, 248 positive commandments. It continues, Tanya, very fascinating, as well as the rabbinic injunctions. In other words, let's not fool ourselves and say... Oftentimes, times people ask me, they say, I just, I just was learning with someone. I just was learning on Sunday with a young boy. And he was trying to debate with me the law we were discussing. Is it from the Torah? Is it from the Talmud? Is it from the rabbis? And if it's this level and that level? No. If the Torah says something, whether it's written in the Torah itself, whether it's written in Halacha, whether as well as rabbinic injunctions. Why? Why also the rabbinic injunctions? Does anyone know why, do the, why does the law of the rabbis have the same strength as the law of the Torah? What's it's, written, it's written in the Torah. The Torah you have to listen to the sages of the day. One of the, one of the 613 commandments is to listen to the rabbis. Yeah. Since they are contrary to His will and wisdom, since the Torah is against what Hashem wants, blessed be He. And, not, and indeed, the very opposite thereof. So therefore, they represent total and complete separation from His unity and oneness, blessed be He. The same as the Sitra Achara and Klippa, which are called Avodazar, idolatry, and other gods, because of the hiding of the countenance of the supernal will as explained above. We've, we've learned previously about sin. We've learned previously about klipa, sitra achra, how Hashem, Hashem wants impurity to exist. David, remind us why Hashem wants impurity to exist. That's a very good question, and we'll take that up in a little while. <laughs> in a few, in a few chapters. <laughs> um, ask me. Why? I, I couldn't help. No, 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 no problem. Why does Hashem want My impurity? My sinful nature made me answer that way. Why does Hashem want impurity to exist? Why does Hashem want impurity, evil, to exist? Because He wants us to exist, our, uh, to assert our free will, to... Oh. Uh, to come to Him with the realization that we are one with Him. Fantastic. Hashem wants us to have free choice, free will. In order for there to be free will, there has to be impurity, there has to be evil. Right? Makes sense, Rafi? But nonetheless, 
Hashem has pulled Himself out of impurity. That's why it's impure. It's impure because Hashem is not there. Hashem says, I need you to exist, but that's not what I want. As we've discussed the analogy of the king who is trying to make his son sin. So the king wants, is going to test his son as hard as possible to sin. But the king doesn't want his son to sin. So the temptation is necessary to test his son. But hopefully his son won't fail. Is this, is this basically a metaphor for the physical laws or for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction? Say it again, is, please. Is that the manifestation of this idea? Yeah. Is that of which idea? Of that uh, Hashem wants us to be able to have free will so right. we can evaluate. Right. So the question is, is this a, a metaphor for the physical laws in nature that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction? Simply because otherwise you would not be able to recognize an action. Right, right. So in the same way, uh, you know, if we didn't have sin, how could we evaluate goodness in a sense? We talked about that last week, I think, where you said, how could such evil exist, like to the extremes? Right. You said it needs to balance. Yes, 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 good. yes. Yes, the, <laughs> the answer is yes. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um... Adam Harishon, he performed the greatest sin ever. What was the greatest sin ever? To eat an apple. Or actually, it's not an apple. To eat a... There's, a, there's, a, there's an argument. An argument what exactly he ate. Was it wheat? Was it, a, was it a grape, right? But he ate a fruit. That was the whole story. My son, I always tell him not to go jump and eat the apple. And he always runs and he takes whatever he wants to eat also. What was, what was the big deal? But no, but the question is much, much greater. The question is... You are Adam. You're Ad you are created by the palm of Hashem. You, have the, you are the greatest being alive. You're the only human, the greatest being alive at the time. Weren't we created by the breath of Hashem? The, the soul was, but even his body was, was formed by Hashem, unlike any other body. Does anyone know how long God commanded Adam not to eat from the tree from for? He said it was hours, like one hour. Until Shabbos began. Adam was born at noon. I think he got the command a few, two, maybe two hours later. The whole story was a story of three hours. I think he had to control himself. He couldn't control himself three hours. And what's the big deal? It was just a little, and there's, there's a full garden. I mean, if you, if you go to the Garden of Eden, I'm sure there's a lot of good stuff to eat. But how could he give in to such a silly temptation? But the answer is amazing. The answer is, because of his greatness, he had also had the greatest evil inclination ever. The greatest tzaddik, the greater you are, we, we learn this often, the greater you are, the greater your, your evil inclination is going to be. has to battle one another. has to balance it out. And therefore, yes, it may seem silly to us, but 
the wording of the Kabbalah is the temptations of all the coming 6,000 years were in that one temptation. So all of your trials that you ever had, plus the, mil the billions of people that have lived, all of those, all of that negative energy, that temptation existed in this one story. But he learned a very important lesson immediately. It was his wife's fault. <laughs> well, he also learned that he had to take, he had to take responsibility. And yes. You can't blame it on other people. So I just wanted to get back to you to answer, yes, everything is, the, the, the equal of good has to have the exact opposite of bad, yes. Thank you. There is negativity, there is, there is evil, there is impurity existing in this world. And the moment someone attaches themselves to it, they have completely gone against what Hashem wants. That's simple, right? That's, that's a simple understanding. But now we're going to learn something much deeper. If someone sins, they are worse than the evil itself. They are worse than the impurity itself. How could that be? And this is what we were discussing previously, the body. Impurity, evil, they don't have a body. They are an idea. They are an energy, but they don't have a body. And therefore, they can't see Hashem. Impurity is able to have a, a greater view of Hashem than we can. Impurity will never go against Hashem. Let's go back to that analogy we've been discussing of that temptation, the king trying to tempt his son. The person doing, trying to make this young prince sin, they're following the rules of the king. The king has hired someone to make the prince sin, but they are following the rules of the king. But if the prince sins, he is not following the rules of the king. He has connected to evil and done even worse. Let's repeat that again. There is evil, there is impurity. Because impurity was put there by Hashem to fulfill a mission, right? That's right. So it's doing Hashem's job. That's right. But Wait, what, sure. When someone does something bad, like you're saying, the impurity is separate from them. I am saying they are go, they are going lower than the level of the impurity itself. The person is. That's right. Yeah, because That's they right. chose to do. That's right. And the evil itself is it's still evil. following orders, number one. It's li the, the evil itself is listening to Hashem. The person is not listening to Hashem? The person is not listening to Hashem. Can't someone decide before they go, they go down, oh, I'm going to do this over because it will help someone else? You're saying, can you sin in order to help someone else? Yeah, maybe Hashem wants you, you choose, I'm going to do something bad, because it has a good purpose. There are times Hashem says, that Hashem says, break Shabbos in order to help someone else. Mm -hmm. But then it's not a sin anymore, then you're doing a mitzvah. But only Hashem can tell you which mitzvahs to break mm -hmm. in order to help And Hashem does tell us, there are mitzvahs, and that's what halacha is. Halacha is very, that's why there's so much halacha. We have to understand the, the, the specific details of, every de of everything. So you're saying Hashem has created all the evil before we've thought of it. It's not that we're creating, creating evil and we 
Correct. 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 Impurity exists. Hashem has created it. But when we attach ourselves to it, we're going even lower than the impurity itself. And there's another reason. Impurity knows Hashem exists. Impurity recognizes Hashem. Can anyone tell me the famous story of where impurity said, I cannot do this anymore because Hashem doesn't allow me? Balak. Balak. Fantastic. The story where the, these two nations they came together, they want to curse the Jews. And they hired a non-Jewish prophet. The Talmud says that Hashem made sure to create a non-Jewish prophet so that the non-Jews shouldn't say, Oh, nothing is our fault. You never gave us a prophet to make us better. Hashem gave prophecy to the non-Jews. Balak was a prophet. Sorry, Bilaam was a prophet. Bilaam was a prophet. Well, right, Bilaam, well, then Bilaam was the king. Balak was, Balak was the king, Bilaam was the prophet. Oh. Yeah. Balak, Balak was the, right. Was the king. Yeah, who was the donkey? <laughs> <laughs> An articulate little animal. Balak is nudging Bilaam to curse the Jewish people. And Bilaam is trying as hard as he can. He really is. He's trying as hard as he can to curse the Jewish people. And finally, Bilaam himself turns to Balak and says the following words, I cannot go beyond the word of Hashem. I cannot. Evil itself, impurity itself says, knows I can only do what Hashem allows me to do. Nothing more. You know, there's a, there is an interesting question about this, though. And that is that... What do you mean? Bilaam, at the end of the day, did go against Hashem. We all know, following the story when he couldn't curse the Jews, he created a tremendous plot, and he made a lot of Jewish men succumb to sin, and there was a terrible tragedy and plague, etc. So he did do something negative. Well, like, what, what does that mean? That I can't do anything outside of what Hashem... I cannot go beyond the word of Hashem. What does it mean? It means that at the time that he was a prophet of God, he understood that as a prophet of God, he recognized his prophecy is limited to what Hashem allows him to do. But then, as a human being, human beings, we do have the ability to do things against Hashem. Sinning is against Hashem. So it's just interesting to note, in our conversation we're saying, as a messenger of God, when Bilaam was acting as a messenger of God, he recognized he can never do anything against Hashem. So let's put it together. When someone goes ahead and they sin, not only are they on the level of, of impurity, they are lower than that. Let's... We'll begin and we'll stop in middle. Likewise, just like the opposite, when someone studies Torah, their whole being is one with the Torah. Unfortunately, the opposite. Likewise, the three garments of the nefesh, 
stemming from the Klippa Noga in Jews, namely thought, speech, and action, when closed in the 365 prohibitive commands of the Torah, or in the rabbinic injunctions as also the essence of the nefesh itself, not only the garments of the soul, but the soul itself, which pervades these garments, all become actually united with the said Sitra Achra and Klippa called Avodazar. When someone goes ahead and they sin, their entire being, unfortunately, is connected with that sin. And this continues Tanya. Furthermore, they become some subordinate and secondary to it, the klipa, and considerably inferior and more debased than it. Why? For the klipa is not closed in a, corp, in, in a physical body. It knows its master and is not rebellious against him by any independent act of sending its evil messengers, God forbid, when not commissioned by the omnipresent, blessed is he. Impurity will never do anything when Hashem doesn't send it. Witness Bilam's statement. Like Bilam said, I cannot go beyond the word of God. So when someone sins, not only is their entire being connected with the sin, they are even lower than impurity and evil itself. We'll continue next week with a simple question. That's a good simple question. You know, let, let's wrap this together and we'll leave with a positive thought. I hear there's a... I don't want to leave on a negative thought. Putting it together, we've just started talking in chapter 24. How sin, how impurity does exist, evil does exist, sin does exist. Unfortunately, sin is, the, is separating from God. The exact opposite of Torah and mitzvot. And when someone sins, not only are they on the same level of impurity, but they are even lower. Because impurity can't go against Hashem. We, in a human body that don't see Hashem, unfortunately we're able to go against Hashem. That's what the Tanya said, a corporal body. We're in a physical body. Our physical body covers up on everything. Therefore we're able to go against Hashem. Impurity that's not physical, it cannot, like Bilam said, I cannot go against Hashem. I cannot go against Hashem. So what good can come out of this? Why, why would we learn this? We know we're not learning Musa, we're learning Hasidus. Hasidus is positive. Chassidus is showing us, as we've discussed previously, what is Chassidus? And I've heard this beautiful analogy of a skunk, not a skunk. A, what, what's that animal that has like a ton of needles coming? A porcupine? a porcupine? A porcupine. Imagine a porcupine that is rolling around in the mud. And you bring it home as a pet and you want to clean it. Good luck with that. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Good luck. But there's a method of getting it clean in 10 seconds. What's the method? If the porcupine shakes itself, makes a little shake, it's going to clean up in one second. If you have to go and clean off every little piece, it's going, to take, it's going to be very hard. And that is the difference between Musa and Hasidus. Musa goes from the outside. They're trying to, so to say, scare you from the outside. Historically, Musa was also a reaction against Hasidus from other Hasidim. Hasidus is from the inside. It's a fire from the inside. It's us shaking ourselves. I encourage you all to read my uh, piece I wrote in the Maimonides newsletter. Just I published it today. It's all about this very point. About the fire inside. 
That is chasit. So, but what is, where do I see a fire in what we've learned so far? Here I just see the fear. What could be good about our conversation? How when someone sins, they are lower than sin itself. If you're going to identify and be with... <laughs> if you don't sin, you'll be higher. Good. Mm-hmm. What were you saying? You have to know what the importance of avoiding sin is and what its relationship is to your relation to God. You don't know what you're avoiding if you are not considering that which it is you should avoid. Right. You don't, Good, you don't know... And that's, that's exactly what, what we're going to learn in chapter 25 based on this idea. Mm-hmm. We're going to... Based on this idea... How, what the awesome connection you come when you learn Torah and mitzvot, and what the unawesome connection you do when you do the opposite of Torah and mitzvot, this idea allows us for the Torah to be exceedingly near. Kikarovi lecha. It's exceedingly near for us to learn Torah and do mitzvot. Because of the awesome connection that comes from learning mitzvot and the opposite from. So when we put everything in perspective, it's going to help us have the inner fire burning very strong. Mm-hmm. Sharon, please. Well, so <clears throat> I've been coming for almost a year. Now I'm in trouble. Well, I hear a lot about the 248 positive and the 365 negatives. Yeah. Where's the list? What are these? I don't know what they are. What is the 248 do's and what is the 365? We know the 613 altogether. Well, where, where's the list? Is there a list? You get the Chabad Chamash and there's a Jewish chapter. They list them from that chapter. So I'm not reading the right book yet. I didn't I will. There are books available. Google. Sharon, it's such a good question that, like anything else, is an argument about what they are. But, but, no, no, but, but I'll, make, I'll, I'll, I'll make it very simple for everybody. I will, God willing, tomorrow email out to everyone a link to the Rambam himself, writes down, lists, and enumerates what the 613 mitzvot are. In, in, in Hebrew and English, in both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good question. You may I will. be surprised to learn that a lot of them are incumbent upon Kohanim and pertain to the temple. So, uh, I just like to see Right. No, unfortunately, unfortunately today, we have the ability to perform only under 100 of them. Um, so we're actually today only able to perform a very small amount in exile, outside of Israel, etc. But yes, I will send everyone a link to the 613 Commandments. Yes. Which evening study do we read all 613? The night of Shavuot. We read, read them all. Yeah. So we actually did that here. Yes, exactly. We, we read them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. It was with, was it with you or with Rabbi Moti? Or? I don't recall. Yeah, it was part of this all-night study. Right. We hear from Joe. Oh, Dr. Yeah. Joe, were you there for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a very important point, and here is why. <clears throat> I'm Eddie Evangelist, and I'm coming up to you and say, well, this all this business with the, with the blessings and the commandments and everything is too much trouble. And uh, Yoshi 
all you have to do is have faith, and it's too hard to do all that. Well, first of all, we don't have to do all of them. God willing, we could, but we don't. And second, it's amazing that God could have been so stupid as to give us a bunch of commandments we couldn't perform. And that's a very important argument to blow out of the water, because if you ever get sucked into this kind of thing, it's a quick, very important point to make. God knows what he's doing, and he didn't say, go do this. Ah, you can't do it. <laughs> no. No. You want to ignore it, knock yourself out. I'm going to watch out what God told me to do. And that's why it's knowing the myths of multi plus and minus are important. Thank you, Devin. The reason for impurity in this world is to overcome it, correct? Correct. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.